I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Buzzkills, the show that is very comfortable defining the word woke when asked. I'm Moji L, and I'm joined by my co-host, Marie Khan. Hello, everyone. Hi, all. Coming up on today's show, director Tracy Drose Tragos discusses her amazing abortion pill documentary, Plan C. And comedian and writer Shalewa Sharp talks about the olden days when people purchased porn in person. But first, we're going to complain about the Supreme Court and how they have no respect for nor understanding of reproductive justice. But here's to hoping. Moji, more people need to be talking about what's going on with the Indian Child Welfare Act, ICWA, the act that is putting indigenous communities, indigenous children just just right there on the chopping block. It's well, the act itself is actually really great, but what's wild is this case that's in front of SCOTUS right now that is definitely putting it on the chopping block. Like it's been working uh, fine, maybe a lot, but it's been working right for some time and really helping to preserve indigenous families. But yes. um, there is a Supreme Court case and this Supreme Court, we can't trust. No, not at all. Since 1978, ICWA has put restrictions in place to stop the removal of indigenous children from their families. And they also uh, created minimum standards for them to stay in indigenous cultural environments. So this is saying that someone who gets put in the foster system doesn't get yanked out of their communities and their spaces. And they prioritize indigenous communities to foster and adopt too. And I was reading about this where it was like, you know, one of the tenets of genocide is literally taking children and re-educating them. And essentially the point of this was that indigenous families stay together. Indigenous children stay still immersed in their culture. And essentially some white hetero couple has decided that they deserve all of the Indian children they want. And that this act, which has been helping indigenous communities, which let's be honest, the history of help of indigenous communities in this country is slim. There's none. Just is basically unconstitutional according to their whiteness. Yep. Yes. Indigenous kids, they are already four times more likely to be taken and put into the foster system. And that's not even talking about the horrific genocide that residential schools have have caused for those children's ancestors and their elders. This is reproductive justice we're looking at. This is birth justice. You're already telling someone you don't get to have access to abortion care. And now you're telling them, okay, you're going to be forced to remain and stay pregnant. And we're going to we're going to have people waiting at the wings to take your children. White people people that. Histor- white people, white people. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. And so this is something that we just need to be aware of. And there's all these cases before the Supreme Court this session that like are scary, scary, scary. But I feel like there's really not enough talking about and being upset about this one. So I'm glad that we are talking about it now. And we are hoping for an outcome that respects the sovereignty of indigenous families. But in this country, the weirdos are loud. And we have Molly here about to drop a steaming dump of weirdo news on us. Hi, yeah, sorry. This load's going to be a weird one. You know, it's Women's History Month, and it seems like America's trying to make women history. So let's get into it. As you may recall, last year, Kansans voted in a landslide to preserve abortion rights. And state lawmakers saw that and said, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. And they've introduced an abortion reversal mandate and a quote unquote born alive law to demonize doctors. Clearly, these people do not serve their constituents. These guys must live in a pink berry because they are self-serving. Okay. <laughs> it's clear to me, at least, that they really love the voiceless unborn because they don't have to listen to their fucking voices. On to another state where they don't listen, and apparently they don't read either. In South Carolina, nine Republicans have pulled their support from a bill allowing the death penalty for abortion. Apparently, they weren't aware of what the bill did until we told them. Uh, Representative Brandon Guffey said, I read through it, but I did not click on the code that it linked to stating that a woman should get the death penalty. (laughs) You didn't click through Oh my God, my man, this is the highest stakes TLDR I've ever seen. (laughs) This is a life or death bill, not a goddamn BuzzFeed article. Y'all need to read the heinous shit that you pass. Okay, and lastly, in uh, this is technically good, but insane that we have to do this news. In California, a new bill has been proposed that would prevent doctors from being extradited to another state if they ever face charges for providing abortion medication. This is where we are, folks. First, we had Doctors Without Borders, and now we have Doctors with Very Strict Borders. <laughs> and of course, Wyoming had a roller coaster week, but I'm um, going to leave that one to you guys. Thanks so much. Ugh. Molly, the whiplash is real in Wyoming. I sincerely cannot keep up. It's it's crazy, and I don't even, I don't even think you guys are going to get to this, but this week, a woman who literally tried to burn abortion access to the ground in Wyoming got arrested for arsoning a clinic oh last my God. year. Arsoning, Damn it. Did I say that right? I think yeah. arsoning is a perfectly acceptable word for this because it's a <laughs> yeah. what the fuck thing. I She's can't... in jail, so that's, that's all I know. I get even with this. Thank you so much, Molly. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Oh, shit. Wyoming. Moji, can you resolve the paradox of the cowboy state? Well, the official motto of uh, Wyoming is the equal rights state, but we may have to change it to the personhood state soon because that's the path they're on. The Wyoming state legislature has been trying unsuccessfully to fully ban abortion since July 2022, but that ban has been tied up in court because it violates the Wyoming Constitution. Anyway, womp womp. I know, but like while they're waiting for that ban to run through, they decided to end last week strong by pinning two new abortion bans and becoming the first state in the nation to officially ban abortion pills. Ah. This is so fucked up on a number of levels because this abortion pill ban 
It specifically targets mifepristone and it's not set to go into effect until next July. So we have a little bit of time at least to respond. And folks could still at that point get care with misoprostol, but the access is the hard part with this. Well, they can't get access with misoprostol in Wyoming. There's only one clinic in Wyoming and they only do medication abortion. And I don't even think that's on their list of things they would do. But what's wild is that one of the reasons their initial abortion ban isn't working is because Wyoming has a provision, an amendment in their constitution that says that adults have a right to make their own healthcare decisions. And so every ban that they have tried to enact essentially is unconstitutional for Wyoming. Mm. They have another ban besides the pill one that went into injunction this week. And they basically tried to redefine abortion as not health care. That doesn't actually work. So they're trying to come at it from that avenue. We'll change the definition in Webster of what abortion means. And then we'll be able to confidently say, sorry, you can't get that in this state. Yes, but the wild thing is their abortion ban also has exceptions for things like miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy. And they call them healthcare. And it's just like that. You can't put them in the same place. Either it's healthcare or it's not healthcare. Right. It's just wild. Like basically they can't figure it the fuck out. Yeah. Because they want to legislate morality. Right. I don't know what they want to do. Also, I can't believe they're an equal rights state. I was flabbergasted when I found this out. (laughs) Is that on their license plates? I don't know if it's on the license plates. I know you're a non-driver emoji, but sounds like we got a road trip. It's the official state motto, which I'm just like, how? Well, fuck. I think in keeping with the geographic boundaries and border we set, I think we should pivot on over to take a look at another state, Idaho. What are they up to right now, Moji? This is crazy too, because you're like, oh, legislatures who have the time to redefine medical care, they should also maybe have time to like think about what their living constituents would need. That would just be a logical assumption for me. Mm -hmm. You would be wrong when you were talking about Idaho. 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 No, Idaho. (laughs) In this week's lesson in Fuck Around and Find Out, an Idaho hospital has chosen to stop providing maternity care and all other obstetric services because the abortion bans make it hard for them to get doctors. Right. So like there's a direct line that the hospital drew between abortion bans and lack of maternity care. And the people in this town where this hospital is located, the hospital's still there. They're just not doing birth in any babies. They're going to now have to drive 46 miles to give birth, to have maternity care, to have prenatal care. I don't think people fully realize what this means. Like people who feel comfortable, people who are antis, People who feel like they're on the right and accurate side, like all all of your health care is going to go away. You don't get to separate different types of reproductive care and say one's right and one's wrong and one's not necessary. Well, you really can't. And it's got to be hard for doctors. Like think about, you know, doctors spend a lot of money and a lot of time becoming doctors. And so it's wild to then ask doctor to choose between giving substandard care that doesn't sit up to the, the levels that they were taught or risking jail time and like exorbitant fines and financial ruin. To remind folks as well, Idaho is a very rural state. So you already have people in unincorporated spaces, townships who aren't able to get this care. So they are already traveling those 46 miles to go to that major town to find their hospital. And now you got to go another 46 miles. These have huge, huge ripple effects on on the type of care that that gets to be incorporated into people's families and their lives, and then on on what gets to be sustained for people. And also when you think about the impact, like one doctor 
had stated directly that she was one of the reasons, one of the many reasons she was leaving from this hospital and leaving Idaho altogether was because Idaho has had this maternal mortality review committee. And if you pay any attention to maternity in this country, you know that maternal mortality in this country is a huge problem. It's just a, a ginormous problem that people have not quite been able to or chosen not to address. So I'd always had a review board and the time that the legislature gave for them is supposed to end July of, of this year. And even though their last committee report said that the maternal mortality rate in Idaho has doubled, the Republican-led legislature is like, we can let this committee go. We're good. That is absolutely disgusting. Like you, you even found it out. You didn't, like you got a report. Yep. And this is a trend. Like usually places that have abortion bans generally have much worse maternal outcomes, right? Much worse, like childbirth outcomes. It's just wild. And this is the first hospital that is directly stated that they're going to close because of abortion bans. But I feel like this is a trend we should watch. And this is a trend that we'll see. Anyway, let's stay at hospitals, Marie, because you know what I mean? It's like, oh, hospitals don't do abortions, right? Like hospitals generally do maternity care. And it looks like Utah took a look at that and had different thoughts. Yes. Yes. Smoji. So there's some ongoing shady shit in Utah. I don't know who to blame, but well, I actually do know who to blame in this specific instance, the governor. Abortions are now going to need to happen at hospitals, possibly as soon as May. Governor Spencer Cox, he signed a bill last week that will both delicense abortion clinics and only allow abortion care in hospitals. And to be clear, last year, only about 2,800 abortions managed to happen in the state with exactly none of those being at a hospital. Uh, Yeah, the hospitals in in Utah has done like, what, 1% of abortions in the state? I guess that's less than, if you say none, it's less than 1%. (laughs) This situation is very fucked up because on paper, Utah technically allows abortion to 18 weeks. So anyone who's not paying attention, who's not actually reading closely and seeing what's accessible to folks, what's going on. And in my nerdiness, I was kind of curious what do Utah's abortion vital statistics even look like? Went through, there's a report online. Hospitals didn't even mentioned once. So I think maybe this is this is just a tactic. You know, it's funny because we have been focusing on Dobbs, pre-Dobbs, post-Dobbs, the Dobbs leak, right? And so one of the things we really haven't talked about, which we used to talk about a lot more, are trap laws, which are targeted regulations for abortion providers. And this is when Anti-abortion legislators look at the stats and then create laws that specifically target abortion providers and get in the way of them doing care. And so this is a classic trap law. I feel like, you know, years before we would see these like admission privileges or like ambulatory centers making And Utah basically looked and said, oh, the stats say we have no abortions at a hospital. Let's move all abortions to the hospital, which doesn't have the capacity for it or probably the interest. Yep. Interest is huge. At least when you're going to an abortion provider, you know, you're going somewhere where that person goes to work every day with the intention of getting someone Mm -hmm. safe abortion care. You don't you don't know if that's going to happen at a hospital. And what was happening with with these sort of admission rules is a lot of times clinics would close because hospitals wouldn't give them admitting privileges, (laughs) either because they were Catholic hospitals or because the complications related to abortion are so tiny that it wasn't worth their time. And so basically, so I think I want to point out Utah has had a trigger ban that they haven't been able to move through their judicial system fast enough. So this Mm -hmm. is a way to just immediately get to ending abortion. 
attack the same thorn in their side just from a different angle. Oh, well, I feel like you've been sufficiently pummeled by the news now with Mochi and I. Let's head over to our first And Molly. Guest. Molly gave and us Molly. Some, some real Ooh, news. Oh, Moji Marie Molly. Look at us. <laughs> Who do we have as our first guest, Moji? We're excited to talk to the director of Plan C. Plan C is a documentary chronicling the work of activists dedicated to expanding access to medication abortion. Please welcome writer and filmmaker Tracy Droz Tragos. Tracy, thank you for joining us. Hey, Tracy. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited. We loved your film. This is not your first foray into filmmaking about abortion and abortion experiences. So what were you surprised to learn when making this film that you hadn't already learned through the process of making abortion stories women tell? I mean, well, for me, the the whole inspiration was this kind of paradigm shift that these pills didn't need to be handed to uh, abortion medication, didn't need to be handed to a patient in a doctor's office. Um, In the film that I made in 2014, I was embedded in Hope Clinic in Illinois. And, you know, I saw firsthand like the gauntlet of protesters that people had to pass through to access care and you know, just all the hoops and very, and then only to like sit in the doctor's office if they chose uh, a medication option to be handed the pills by a doctor um, and, you know, basically to go home and, and self-manage their abortions. But even then I didn't quite really get how powerful it would be to one day really, you know, shift the paradigm that this really wasn't something that needed to be so medicalized and managed and that folks maybe could be trusted to, you know, handle it themselves. And, you know, medication abortion, the statistics are still staggering, right? When you see people that have done studies that say like 40% of Americans have never even heard of medication abortion. It's, and, and it's, it's, you know, over half of the abortions in the country right now are done with medication abortion. It's so, it's, it, it is wild how much people don't know. So I guess what I would love to know is, I mean, I guess you had some good information from just doing abortion stories, women tell, but like, how did your, I always am curious when someone does a documentary, you walked in with one idea, where did the journey take you and how did it change from your initial thought of how, how the story was going to play out? Yeah. Well, I, I met Francine Cueto, one of the co-founders of Plan C. Like we met for coffee. She lives 20 minutes from my house. I, I figured out. Um, but this was right after Kavanaugh was appointed to the Supreme Court. And I was like, you know, what what are folks doing um, to prepare for Roe being overturned? I mean, it's already basically a shit show with access, but, you know, it's it's only going to get worse um, with these folks appointed to the Supreme Court. And, you know, when I heard about her, you know, the organization and the work to kind of, you know, spread the word that medication abortion exists and that you can buy it over the internet and that you can self-manage your abortion at home. I was like, wow, you know, that makes so much sense. That's amazing. And of course, you know, everybody can get whatever they want basically delivered to your door. And, you know, that <laughs> makes sense. But I was like, well, you know, when is that going to happen? You know, that's that's going to take a long, long time. And is that going to happen in my lifetime? I don't know. But of course, when COVID hit, I think folks really, really the, the mainstream medical establishment 
embrace telemedicine. And I think this this provision of care, you know, took off. One of the things, Tracy, I was super excited about in watching your film is that you show really beautifully how it's a global movement for access. And like you are showing across the world how people for decades have taken care of their own communities and then the greater ones around them. I was wondering if there are any stories you weren't able to include that you would like listeners to know about. We've seen, for instance, how the activists in Poland with the Dream Team this last month, she she was sentenced to eight eight months of community service. So I, I know you're closer to a lot more of these stories than we are. Yeah, I mean, it was a fine line about what um, to, to amplify that this was an option and that there were really trustworthy, nice people doing this work. Um, it, you know, not some anonymous sketchy thing that, you know, but these are real people. Um, so that when you reach out on Reddit or the MA hotline, you know, you're probably landing with someone trustworthy. Um, but but yeah, I mean, especially, you know, especially in Texas, especially after SB8 became law, which is the, you know, was the six-week ban and then added on this aiding and abetting thing that private citizens could turn themselves in and so, you know, there I was able to sit down with um, some folks who had self-managed their abortions in that context. And um, and it's really tricky. You know, it's really tricky because you don't want to risk anyone being criminalized and put anyone in harm's way. But there's a you know, there, there is access even in red states. That's you know, there is uh, there are people who are doing work and it's not just Plan C. Um, although Plan C, the organization is an information site that can recommend, you know, lots of different places. Um, but yeah, you know, there there are folks who are doing this work and some some are within the country, some are outside of the country. But, you know, knowing that things are really bad here in the United States. So I mean, I think there was one story I would say um, of someone self-managing their abortion in Texas she didn't call the MA hotline, but what she did do was go on um, a website, Doctors Without Borders. And I was like, oh man, you know, really, you know, like that, this is the United States of America. And, you know, we're supposed to be this, you know, the leader of the free world or whatever. But yeah, you know, when folks have to go on a website and Doctors Without Borders, when they're, you know, five minutes from a metropolitan area with major hospitals, like what is going on? And it really is getting sort of crazier, right? Like you started this film in 2020, right? And watching it almost felt like time travel. Like we're now post-Dobbs and before then it was pre-SB8. We like saw it happen. I really felt like I was watching time happen. Um, And now we are literally waiting to hear a Texas judge's ruling on if on if Missy, Miffy Preston will even be available for us, if it will be taken from us, if the FDA approval will be revoked. And you cover so much talking about the risk and the potential lawsuit. Have you follow up with any of your subjects about their risk levels at this moment in time? Do you think they've changed? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in touch with with most folks who were in the film, and a lot of them are participating now that we're in this kind of festival rollout. Although some of the folks who were able to come to Utah um, didn't feel like they could come to Texas, felt like that was kind of a bridge too far. Um, but but yeah, I mean, the folks are continuing to do this work. And 
Massachusetts is the only state now that has a shield law that will protect providers mailing over state lines um, to these restricted states. So, you know, there there is risk, um, but everyone is kind of, you know, taking it at, at the level that they feel that, you know, they can. We all feel very, really passionate about it, but some folks, you know, are are at a different place in their life where they have small kids and, you know, it's 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 too much to imagine what might happen. And other folks are in a different place in their life and feel like, okay, well, if the worst happens, so be it. You know, we, as people who work in this work every day, uh, watching a film about the work is sometimes you're like, I wish they would have said this, or that seems like so much inside baseball. I feel like this film is such a wake-up call to regular folks. And I feel like you really captured what medication abortion is. And it's almost like you second-guessed everything that every shithead would say and covered those bases on what how someone can be proactively involved in their own um, self, self-medication abortion safely and what it's like. And like, I just love that. And, and then watching the stories along the way, and especially as Moji said, pre-Dobbs of people constantly having conversations and, and how they navigate the legal landscape. The one thing I wanted to ask you is as a filmmaker presenting this information, did you navigate that landscape for yourself to say like, wow, am I going to get hit on an aiding and abetting charge from some fuckwad someplace? I, it didn't come up uh, really in my mind. I mean, I felt like, you know, this is free speech, right? This is a film that, but increasingly that's a question and that's a, that has come up. Um, I mean, I knew that I needed to make sure that um, the folks in the film that, needed to stay anonymous, should be anonymous, and make sure that footage was in a place where I was either destroyed or not available at all to be, you know, if someone subpoenaed me or something, even though I wouldn't cooperate with the subpoena. But in Texas, yeah, that came up. They're like, well, are you worried about showing this film in a in a film festival at South by? And I was like, are that you- literally is a question we had. Yeah, <laughs> like, how does like, that? Do you go to Texas? Do you send someone else? Like, is it is Austin a safe space? Right. Like, how does that get to look for you? I mean, it's it's weird. And to be honest, like I, you know, the the organizers, it's such a it's such a. Um, a weird line because you know they're they're doing things they're taking precautions sniffing for bombs and th- you know having bomb sniffing dogs and stuff but at the same time there are police officers there and are they you know and it's like well that could go either way here uh-huh. and and it's a very weird feeling to like look at this police officer at the you know entrance to the theater where you're going to screen this film and wonder, like, has he seen this film? Is this guy going to come in and have a feeling about an opinion about this? And here we go, or what? Um, most of the folks who were outside of the theater just looked bored and were just doing their thing. But yeah, I mean, it did cross my mind, especially when in both screenings, that question was like, you know, the first question asked by the audience. The other thing I would say is that there's such a, I mean, nothing, nothing 
remotely like that came down, but I think there's such a fear that whether it's reasonable or not, I mean, everybody's entitled to feel as threatened by this because it's very threatening. It's intended to threat, to, to be a threat. But, you know, maybe in standing up to it and maybe in saying the word abortion in these spaces and I don't know, you know. These laws are very much written with that kind of ambiguity where you're literally not sure what the line is. And I feel like that's that's on purpose. Yeah, it's definitely the confusion is the point because it creates that chilling effect where it's like, is it is it worth it for me to move forward? And it's interesting to hear in your film, people who are not physicians, who, and and I, and Marie Moji and I was so resonated. There was a character in the film who said, like, I just do it because it's what I do. When you, why do you pick up your baby when your baby's crying? Right. And I think for activists who are now in this role of, of facilitating, I'm going to say, cause I, I don't know what legal word to say, facilitating um, someone to be able to have abortion. We don't have to worry about losing our medical licenses and, 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 you know, all of that stuff that's around it. And like, go ahead and prosecute me, bitch, I think is the undercurrent and the bravery and the amazingness of all of the people in the film. Yeah. Yeah. The folks in it, it, they're so badass. The people you encompass and talk to, I happen to be on the board of Just the Pill, but not a provider at all from a practical support perspective. Yeah. And they're one of the telemedicine providers you focused on, you interviewed. And I'm just so glad that, that A, you run the gamut of the type of folks that are in this community of helping. You might be a doula, you might be an MD, you might be someone that speaks several languages in a different context. And I'm curious as, so we've heard how like the fears you had going into these places. How has it been the the reception, the excitement at Sundance, at South by Southwest? How has it been now as the reception you're getting as you're looking to get this film into places where the public can screen it and see it? Yeah, I mean, the, re- the reception has been pretty tremendous. I mean, I would say there's like a there's a, like groups of people who are particularly coming up and like, okay, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, the one group is mothers. Mothers are coming up and they are like, my kid is going to college. I'm going to get this for the whole group going wherever they're going. And how do I do this? So that, you know, feels kind of powerful. And then doctors, doctors who are in other areas of medicine who have never really considered the fact that, yeah, they can be abortion providers. They can prescribe this. And and at Sundance, we had some politicians. So we had a state legislator from California who said, I want to take this to Sacramento because part of what needs to also happen is, you know, these shield laws need to be passed in more and more states that are friendly to abortion and that care about protecting access um, across the country. So yeah, they need to, you know, follow the lead of Massachusetts. I was wondering, you know, doing a simple podcast and just literally just putting our information out into the world is, you know, we get shadow banned. We just had our TikTok taken down. And I'm wondering if distributing a film about the abortion pill is as hard as distributing the abortion pill. In a word. Uh, Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, we're going to we're going to figure it out and we're going to have it out. I, I you know, I'm I am making it my mission by June one way or another. 
But yeah, I mean, a lot of the traditional distributors, gatekeepers are like, yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm so glad, you know, I hope it finds a home. We just, it's, it's, you know, too partisan. It's too political. It's so, you know, that's a, that's a thing. It's a thing about getting, you know, getting stories out there, getting information out there. Yeah. But I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to take it sitting down and we want people to see it. I mean, we want it to kind of have its own grassroots life. One of the things I'll, that story I will tell in Texas, we had an event after our screening and there were several folks who worked in a Planned Parenthood there who had been laid off in the aftermath of Roe being overturned. One still uh, worked there and talked about really, you know, what she couldn't say, what she could not say when folks came in and needed care, needed an abortion. And we asked her, so, you know, you can't send them to a site, you know, website. She's like, no, no, I can't send them to a website. Can't, you know, I can't do any of that. It's like, well, what about um, telling them to watch a film? She's like, huh, yeah, maybe I could do that. I could say, yeah, there might be a film you'd be interested in checking out. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think there's, there's power in getting this information out there in kind of all lanes and however we can. And if it needs to be somewhat, you know, it's like a film as you're saying, you know, haven't been shut down yet. That's awesome. I just think that's also so important because we did a year or two ago on the AAF socials, we did a poll who has heard of abortion medication and people who followed abortion access front, the, the Twitter like a ridiculous number of people had just never even heard of this form of abortion. And so it's really beautiful that this film is almost like a PSA about like what it is and how it can help. I really love that. I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Yeah. It's really great. Thank you so much, Tracy, for joining us. People, they're going to be inspired by what you're talking about in this interview. They're going to go see the film. Aside from that, do you have any action items that you recommend for folks? Yeah. I mean, I would say by advanced provision now, I mean, who knows when this judge is going to rule in Amarillo? I mean, it might be this afternoon, might be next week, but if you can go online and buy pills now, advanced provision to have on hand for yourself, family, friend in need. I think that's kind of where we are right now. Thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thank Tracy. You. Your film is amazing. Everyone watch this film. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You've had some very, very special people on. So I'm honored to be among them and you all. You can follow Tracy on Instagram at Droz Tragos. She encourages people to buy advanced provision abortion pills and to support the Abortion Freedom Fund. Learn more at the links in our show notes. And now we take a break to hear from our fake sponsor this week. America has become a woke super fun site full of gay acceptance and bell hooks, where children who used to be normal now come home from school and announce their pronouns. If only there was a technology that could take these garbage ideas and recycle them into something good for white supremacy. Well, friends, introducing the con poster, the final solution to the world's progressive ideas problem. The composter is simple, a compact device you can store right in your kitchen that turns woke ideas into a pile of nope, feed whatever blasphemous, feminist, or historical facts you find offensive into the composter. And in just a few hours, the composter's patented Taylor Green technology can turn the entire woke back mountain of un-American garbage 
into an inclusion revoking and men mentally friendly mound of thoughts and prayers. Order your composter today and use the promo code TOXICBUZZKILL to receive 10% off at the checkout. The composter, rebirth of a nation. <laughs> thoughts and prayers are the least authentic of sentiments. I just feel like it's an alternative fax machine. Oh, <laughs> we'll talk about a sustainability program. I do not and will not be joining. Oh, same. <laughs> I have no interest. <laughs> anyway, here to raise our spirits is a comedian, writer, and actor whose credits include HBO's Two Dope Queens, The New Negroes on Comedy Central, and The Tonight Show. Please welcome the hilarious Shalewa Sharp. Hello, Shalewa. Thank you hey. for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> We're exciting people, yeah. I just want to say. Um, <laughs> but uh, so much has been happening in the world and whatever. What's on your mind? Okay, what's on my mind? I um I was just talking to a friend about how uh, I really feel like we're kind of at the that the United States seems to be doing um, the greatest hits of terrible things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A, re a yes. reunion visit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just like a, a compilation, just like remember this and remember how we used to do this and remember how we made kids work and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Yeah. Um, I saw one of your tweets and you said you feel like we're in the last 15 minutes of cabaret and I felt that in my bones. Yes, <laughs> I felt that too. That was a retweet. But man, when I read that, I was like, oh, my goodness, because that is my favorite musical because it's dark. And I was like, oh, this is not like this, though. That's not this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> we wanted the dancing and the yeah. makeup. Yeah, yeah. So more fishnet, less child working. Also, I don't need any more falling in love with gay guys. No, exactly. I'm You've done like, enough of that in your life, Liz. I've done enough of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, yep. I, I also had a lackluster threesome that went nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things. <laughs> I know. Because Shalewa, you know, it's like we do this podcast weekly. We know mm -hmm. you have a weekly podcast and you're talking mm -hmm. about news and information and sports and pop culture. And I mean, we focus on abortion and we have to cut 900,000 things like, <laughs> right. So right. how do you a settle on what you're going to do every week? And then is there something that you dropped from your pod this week that you just need to get off your chest? Cause we want to provide that space for you right now. We, uh, well, I, I do it with a co-host. His name is Gastor Almonte and he's fantastic. And we just kind of pick things that, um, will, accidentally make us rant and we um that are a little lighthearted but but not really like i have a thing for animals loose animals i think they're trying to tell us something when an animal escapes uh when it's out uh in the human wild and not the nature wild uh i always pay attention to that and um i i i stories like that really get me just talking about listen to the animals they're trying to tell us we need to get out of here that area isn't good that's why they're running i i i feel like they have a <laughs> they they're trying to tell us something and then we try to i i don't think we try to stay away from really tough subjects because sometimes a really goofy story will bring up a a, a tough conversation that we end up having but something that we haven't talked about, and it's probably because I don't know how to get my words together on it correctly, is everything happening in Atlanta right now with regard to Cop City. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm 
I'm from Atlanta. And uh, when I go back, I just think, wow, there are too many people here. Every time I'm like, what happened? Why, why are you all here? And the last few times I've gone back, I'm like, oh, the trees are disappearing as well. There are all these people and you're taking the trees away. I don't like that. The trees need to be part of living in a city. We need the trees to help us clean up all this air because we're all going to drive down here. Apparently, there's no way to stop that. So initially I was upset with, wow, they're going to take away this whole like forested area to train cops. That's goofy. Just in general, don't do that. We need those trees. And then as it kept going and I started learning more and more about um what kind of training they want to do and what they truly want to build there. Like calling it cop city isn't just like a cute little term. They literally want to build a city to train cops from probably all over the world to come there. And the the best way to like (laughs) just destroy a city, we're going to build a whole studio city for you. And then we'll put up these little things and you can come through and we'll teach you the best way to destroy it, uh, you know, to your needs. And and then we'll let you go back out into the world and do that in your cities where there are real people. Um, and that's insane to me. Um, and so I've had uh, people that I know who have been going out and fighting it. So then when uh, an activist was killed by a cop, And so now that triggers the whole, well, now let's see what kind of stupid story they're Mm going to come up with to cover that up. So every time, every step of it and the various people who aren't saying anything, and then also how this is such a huge, what this means for the rest of the country, for uh, police and the rest of the country and how I, I truly only hear about it on Twitter. And that's from the video store that's in Atlanta that I follow on Twitter. Them, like tweeting out news stories and i'm like they can't be the only place i'm i'm hearing this right i know we the clinic escorts and the reproductive justice activists that we work with in atlanta have been really on the forefront on twitter of just talking about what it means but also like isn't there i mean i think the i know the answer to this but of all the cities to pick to train cops it's like minneapolis would be the worst and right. then Atlanta is in the top five. Chicago. Like, yeah. what? What what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I'm definitely I'm like that. I feel I think like they're that's only not, not doing New York because we don't have the space. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, we have a big <laughs> park we could just take, you know, we have a lot of parks. That's the thing is that Atlanta hasn't sold off all of its space like piecemeal yet. It's getting there. It's absolutely getting there. So I I know that this is just like a mastermind project behind um, horrible training facility pe- brained people. And then the developers, which have always been an issue in Atlanta, uh, always just like, what if we put a shoebox on its side there? And that's just <laughs> like, that's ridiculous that every place I go, I'm like, I remember that was an interesting place. And now it's literally a glass box. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now we're going to show you how to uh, destroy whole communities in this glass box. But first, let's cut down all these trees. Let's destroy all of this. There are so many things wrong with it that just drive me insane. And all I can, I just, when asked about it, I just end up like, yeah. (laughs) And just literally those sounds, no words, just those sounds. And they're like, okay, we, okay. 
I'm waiting to just have them slap a big Chick-fil-A logo on it too. Coca-Cola <laughs> brought to you by all these multinationals who are yeah. based in Atlanta. Yeah. Yep. Oh, for sure. Rabbiton, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Everything up and down the East Coast, you know? It's it really just feels like I, I, I just really feel like we're really wrapping up this the this show night. Like this is definitely the end of the series. Right. It just feels <laughs> between between that and and trains constantly falling off of tracks suddenly, like, wait, was this happening the whole time? How are all of the trains just mm-hmm. like whoop, and falling over? And also I'm like, how do we have breathless coverage of the Kardashians, but we don't hear about these things? <laughs> like, I I truly don't know. I I really don't I know. No fucks about Kim Kardashian's weight, and yet I am yeah. constantly inundated with the information. I don't hear about these train derailings. <laughs> right, exactly. I definitely have I've seen more about whatever the medicine is for diabetes that also accidentally. Ozempic. Yes, mm-hmm. Ozempic. There, yes. there. The, the, like I got a, a note like, hey, here's the Ozempic story. And I'm like, I know I just read the. O- nope, nope, no, no, no. This is our. O- oh, wait, there's like, more. There's no more to tell me. Um, no. Look, I've been around a minute. I lived through Fen Fen. I know. I already know. I know <laughs> what's it's happening. Bad. It's like the Ken- it's like the Kennedy's biopics. How much more information about the Kennedy's? <laughs> there's nothing left. Every stone has been unturned. Stop. With the Kennedys. I, I had a, an ex-boyfriend when I started dating him was right uh, the beginning of the 90s. So we were really like, that was heavy. J- who who killed JFK times in like yes. 92. And so I, I had to see that Oliver Stone movie with them. And then I went to dinner with his family and that's all, all they talked about. And they looked at me like, what are your views? And I'm like, yeah, this was never discussed in my home. Uh, also white boyfriend i probably should say that and and i mean that's uh, obvious i was i'm sorry like, we did we didn't need that qualifier i was right yeah. there with you and, like, then, oh. and they were like how how did you not discuss this and i'm like well not really the murder at that time that mattered to my family that wasn't the <laughs> dude not that one um chile i want to take us back to video stores Oh, okay. <laughs> Your latest project, Don't Reach in the Bag, is a hilarious one-woman show that we haven't seen yet about getting a job at a porn store because yes. she expected a loose dress code, which I love a dress code. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Because this sounds fascinating. Also, love the attention to like making sure her wardrobe is Right. Yes, it's I I have uh, issues with dress codes. Why, why are you trying to dress me? I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ultimately, I'm not going to I won't mess it's it up. It's a theme with yes. you. Yeah, it's a theme yes. with you. So, but uh, yeah, uh, when I was like 27, I got a job at this porn store. I just needed a job. And I literally looked at it and was like, they're not going to make me wear pantyhose. <laughs> I'm going to apply there. They absolutely will not. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. And so my show is just kind of about that time that I, I worked there. I worked there for like six, seven years, um, which seems like a. It, it's definitely the kind of job where it's like, oh, you do that until your parents aren't mad at you anymore. But I did it for much longer. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it's just I I was asked once to fill up an hour with stuff with time. Hey, do you want an hour to tell a story? And I went, I don't have anything to talk about. That's an hour long. And then I thought, Oh wait, I guess I did work at that porn store. And it turns out I have a lot to say about (laughs) working there (laughs) and what it was like. It's also 
just a fun time to uh, for young people to realize that sometimes you had to go to a place for your porn. It wasn't just in your pocket mm-hmm. um, and what that was like. And also how I personally I like that you're teaching lessons. You know, it wasn't always, wasn't always in to your you. pocket. You had to walk to the store with, with in the winter in my day. With... Absolutely. And it's uh, sadly sadly a role that i'm enjoying like just coming in and going you kids you don't know also just like you know there wasn't always bleached assholes and waxed bushes you know like people were real yeah yeah and just what it was like but what it was like to deal with uh like customers and um you know that's just not a thing when you think of porn it's so it's so personal and so to think that there was a, a another step before you could get to it uh mm-hmm. and it was just some wise cracking person behind the counter you know Did what people i mean ask explicitly for what they want like i'm looking for a threesome uh yes. black people yes. with hairy bushes <laughs> yes absolutely once they once they felt comfortable in the space they did uh there i i actually a lot of my coworkers were women uh, there might have been more women uh, than Ooh. men working there at the time. And it wasn't uh, I, it didn't matter. Our customers, they were 97 percent male. But once they uh, got over their fear of speaking to us, which is very interesting how terrified they were of us. And then they'd say, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking for uh, maybe. Uh, and then once we showed it to them, like, oh, here you go. And they were like, oh, OK, they won't be embarrassed to do it. Then it was all bets were off. They were like, well, now I'm looking for somebody uh, who's this tall, who's doing this and very specific. And I'm wow. like, hey, you know, we're not we're not Google yet. You know, this is like <laughs> those guys needed SEO. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was late. You know, so when I started, they were literal videotapes. So this was like late 90s, early aughts also. So we really had to work things out and trying to figure out what somebody liked um, respectfully. And uh, but it was. It was a lot of fun working there, but it also was draining in different ways, just working with these same people and you build a kind of family and then it has the kind of issues that you have with your family sometimes. Sometimes you and your family have a huge fight and you don't talk to each other for quite some time. But sometimes over which porn you're going to watch. Over, at the yeah, dinner absolutely. Table? Absolutely. If my father had my druthers. Yes. Why don't you bring us more? Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah. And, and but sometimes you that happens and you have to still work with them and you see them all the time and you just, you know, dysfunction, just codependence and dysfunction. <laughs> just in, in the time of, you know, the first Bush. And the second bush, bush on bush on bush. It was just so so much much bush. This is an amazing conversation. I'm so happy we got to have you. I wanted to ask, what's your self care routine? How do you let it all go? But now I'm a. I would like you to respond to that, but I would also like Mm. you to to maybe recommend some porn that our listeners. Maybe any any recommendations you want to give to folks. (laughs) You know what I I don't watch much porn now. Here's what I watch. Here's the thing. When you're in a porn store for like six years, you're kind of tired of the naked body. It's a weird Mm -hmm. thing to me that happened. So a porn that I watch um, tends to be of the type where it's 
someone masturbating because I'm also a little antisocial. So someone masturbating, but you only see him from like the shoulders up. Nice. That's great. So you can fill in the rest. I don't know exactly how they're doing what they're doing. It's so specific that that you have to. uh, Yeah, I can see tab A into slot D anytime. Right. But now I have to use my imagination much like maybe that person is. And so we're all in it together. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I love that you you don't watch a lot of parts. Like, you know what? I don't get high in my right. You know, yeah. Here, you guys, it's for it's for you guys. I do it for you. I do it for you. (laughs) You're such a giver. I am. I am. (laughs) We have to go now. But it was so great having you on today, Shalewa. We are so glad to have you, Shalewa. Thanks so much. You're so awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. You can follow Shalewa on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Silky Jumbo and on TikTok at Silky Jumbo zero instead of an O and her website, shalewasharp.com. She will be performing Don't Reach in the Bag at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin mid-April. Find all this info in the show notes. Thank you to Tracy Joes Tragos for joining us to talk about her film Plan C. Thank you so much for listening. Support our pod by subscribing. Take a minute to write a review and give us five stars. With your help, we can get more people to learn about this assault on abortion access. Follow us on all the socials at Abortion Front to keep up on all the latest repro news. Looking for some action? Like to be part of the solution action? Check out our five-part training series, Operation Save Abortion, at operationsaveabortion.com. The series is available in pod and video form. Make sure to check out the activist calendar, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. And join our Fundathon 101 virtual information session on Thursday, March 30th. Learn everything you need to know about the Hoosier Abortion Fund, Fundathon, and how to show up for abortion access in the state of Indiana. And all options staff and board members will share all the basics you need. Whether you're a seasoned fundraiser or a newbie, join in for tips, brainstorm ideas, and connect with fellow Hoosier AF supporters from across the state. Go to our show notes for a registration link. And next week, the first trans man to run for political office in the Southern United States and founder of the Trans Empowerment Project, Jack Knoxville, joins us. And comedian, actor, and trendy man, Ian Harvey, drops by. And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBAK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Remy Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. And finally, we leave you with Minnesota State Senator Steve Drakowski, a man showing us his whole ass, his stomach contents, and his crazy amount of privilege. I have yet to meet a person in Minnesota that says they don't have access to enough food to eat. Now, I should say that hunger is a relative term, Mr. President. You know, I had a cereal bar for breakfast. I guess I'm hungry now. Uh, that, to some, might be that maybe that's the definition of the bill. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see a definition of hunger in the bill, Mr. President. Um, but I think most reasonable people suggest hunger means you don't have enough to eat in order to to uh, provide for metabolism and growth.
Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.